Our Bible reading is found on page 1021 in the Church Bibles in front of you, and that's Mark chapter 14, beginning to read at verse 53. Mark chapter 14, beginning to read at verse 53 on page 1021 in your Church Bibles. They took Jesus to the high priest, and all the chief priests, elders, and teachers of the law came together. Peter followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death, but they did not find any. Many testified falsely against him, but their statements did not agree. Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him. We heard him say, I will destroy this man-made temple, and in three days we'll build it again. I'll build another, not by man. Yet even then, their testimony did not agree. Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? I am, said Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. The high priest tore his clothes. Why do we need any more witnesses? He asked. You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? They all condemned him as worthy of death. Then some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists, and said, Prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming herself, himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said, and went out into the entrance. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, This fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses on himself and swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately, the cock crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the cock crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Right, well, let's get started. Opening question, what makes you angry? What makes your blood boil? Now, I'm sure there are a whole load of things that you can think of that you have a bee in your bonnet about, like washing up left undone, like your parents may be embarrassing you time and time again, maybe your football team underperforming. As a Liverpool fan, of course, I wouldn't know about that. Maybe it's your spouse hearing you but not really listening. That's what gets you really angry. Maybe that's what makes you see red. But I think what really makes us angry more than anything else is injustice 
and unfaithfulness. Injustice and unfaithfulness. And when we speak about injustice, I'm not talking about someone else having more slices of pizza than you did. I remember growing up with uh, two older brothers, and when we were young on Saturday mornings, we used to go downstairs and uh, watch cartoons whilst having some sweets. And I remember really vividly, actually, we'd, we'd have to count out each and every one of the sweets to ensure that we all had the exact same amount and that justice was done. You couldn't have injustice on Saturday mornings. Well, that's not actually what we're talking about this morning. The kind of injustice that we're talking about today is much more serious. This is truly unfair and completely life-changing. An example of this kind of injustice can be seen in the film Shawshank Redemption. It's a classic film, which I'm sure is uh, on loads of people's must-see lists. And on the Movie Review website, IMDb, it features at the top of the most highly rated movies. So if you haven't seen it, I can uh, perhaps commend it to you. But on the back of that review, I'm now going to give away some spoilers, so sorry about that. In this film, Shawshank Redemption, the main character, Andy Dufresne, is imprisoned for the murder of his wife and her adulterous lover. And he's sent to serve a double life sentence in the notorious Shawshank prison. And as you can imagine, he suffers some pretty horrible stuff and goes through some pretty grueling experiences whilst he's there. But during the course of the film, it's revealed that Andy is actually completely innocent of the crimes that he was found guilty of committing. But the warden, the prison warden, well, he keeps Andy there, Andy the ex-banker, around to help with his tax returns. So he refuses to listen to his pleas and he refuses to acknowledge his appeals. And it's only after 19 long years that Andy eventually manages to escape the prison in a pretty amazing way. It's a bittersweet ending to the film. Yes, he's free and can enjoy the rest of his life outside of prison, but he's lost 19 years of his life. It's an incredible injustice. And when you watch the film, it makes you feel so angry that someone could be treated so unfairly. Well, here in today's passage, we see an incredibly unjust trial, condemning a man who was completely innocent. And unlike Andy in Shawshank Redemption, who managed to find freedom after 19 years, this unjust trial would condemn this innocent man to death. In today's passage, we see the unjust trial of Jesus. We're carrying on our Sunday morning series in Mark's Gospel. And today we're in chapter 14 and in verse 53 to 72. And that's on page 1021. It would be helpful to have that in front of you. And in this passage, Mark is showing us two clear contrasts from our Lord Jesus, who stands as the supreme God-man. Jesus is truth in the midst of lies, and he is faithful in the midst of faithlessness. And this should be a great encouragement to us this morning, because all of us, at some point, are faithless. But Jesus remains faithful. And in the midst of falsehood and lies, Jesus remains the great beacon of truth. So, the first thing that Marx wants us 
to notice from the contrast that he draws out here in these verses is how Jesus is the divine truth in the midst of lies. Have a look down at those verses. Mark sets the scene for us in verse 53 where we see Jesus is led to the high priest and all the important religious leaders. He's taken into this law court and it's full of those who hate him. I remember once being at a Swindon football match at the county ground with my brother. It's not a particularly uh, good team to go and watch, but it's something to do in Swindon. And as we, uh, we somehow managed when booking the tickets to somehow, I blame my brother, to book our tickets in the, in the wrong part of the stadium. It was not good. And we walked in there and we discovered that we were sitting amongst all the away fans. And I remember having to try and modestly celebrate when Swindon scored because we were surrounded by these rather unhappy fans. There we were, sitting in our red and white scarves, surrounded by those who, in that moment, hated us. But much more seriously, Jesus here is surrounded by those who hate him. And this isn't some disgruntled group of fans in a stadium. This is a court of law. And these are the people who have hated Jesus and have been planning to kill him since all the way back in chapter 3 of Mark. And where are his followers in all this? Where are Jesus' closest friends, his 12 disciples? Where are they? Well, two weeks ago, we heard from Will looking at the first part of chapter 14 that they had completely and utterly deserted him. Those who had spent more time with Jesus than anyone else, those who had heard his teaching, seen his miracles, and who had professed unwavering devotion to him. Well, where are they now? One had betrayed him, selling him over for 30 pieces of silver. Most had fled, run away, completely deserting Jesus in his darkest hour. And Peter? Well, here in our passage today, we see Peter follow Jesus, but at a distance, and he waits in the courtyard outside. But inside, we see the trial of Jesus beginning. And and in this courtroom, we learn two things about Jesus. Firstly, what he was, and secondly, who Jesus was. We're starting off then. What was Jesus? Well, the religious leaders get to work on trying to prove that Jesus was guilty. Guilty of what, though? Well, pretty much anything that they can pin him down to doing. But that's the problem. They can't do it. They can't find him guilty of anything. In verse 55 to 59, we see that this trial is a complete shambles. Four times we see evidence and testimony brought against Jesus. We're very much in the legal courtroom here. But in verse 55, we see that they couldn't find anything against him. They couldn't find any evidence against him. So in verse 56, they get people to testify falsely against Jesus. In today's legal terms, they get people to perjure themselves, to lie under oath, in the attempt to find Jesus guilty of something. But even then, we see that their false statements don't match up. And then in verse 57 to 58, there is a specific accusation made against Jesus stating that he had said, I will destroy this temple made with human hands and in three days 
will build another one not made uh, with hands. But we know that Jesus didn't say that. He said that you destroy this temple and I will build it again in three days. And as we know from John's gospel, Jesus wasn't talking about his body as a temple, not an actual building. He was talking, so he was talking about his body, not an actual building. And they were the ones who were going to destroy it. And he was the one who was going to rebuild it again in three days when he rose again. So even here, with this specific accusation, their testimony did not agree. And so in desperation, the high priest turns to Jesus to see if he can do a better job than the false witnesses have of incriminating himself. The high priest questions Jesus about the testimony and evidence that has been brought against him. And of course, Jesus replies by stating how ridiculous these claims are. He explains how what they're claiming makes no sense and doesn't stand up. He clearly clearly shows them that he's completely innocent. But no, Jesus doesn't do that. He doesn't fight against these charges that are being made against him. Instead, he remains completely silent. I wonder if you could do that. Could you remain silent when someone was accusing you of a long list of things that you had never done? Would you remain silent when you were completely innocent? No, of course you wouldn't. I wouldn't and you wouldn't. We would fight tooth and nail to prove our innocence. Why would you do anything else? But why then is Jesus silent here? Jesus is more innocent than anyone has ever been. And yet he doesn't answer these false claims that are being made against him. In verse 61, he is silent and gives no answer. Why? Because his role as teacher and leader are now over. And now he assumes the passivity of the sacrificial lamb. Jesus is the sacrificial lamb. The lamb on whom the sins are of the people would be placed, whose death would mean life for the people. In the ESV, verse 51 is more helpfully translated as they led Jesus to the high priest, led like a lamb to the slaughter. And of course, here we see the fulfillment of the prophet Isaiah's prophecy given some 700 years before this joke of a trial. And we read in Isaiah 53, verse 7, He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Jesus is the completely innocent lamb who remains silent so that he could be the sacrifice that the people needed. They They say that silence can speak volumes. Well, never has that been more true than here? So the first thing that screams out to us from the very beginning of this trial is that Jesus was innocent. So what was Jesus? Well, he was innocent, the completely innocent sacrificial lamb. But following on from Jesus' incredible silence, the high priest asks him another question. And here he touches on the crucial topic of Jesus' identity. Who 
was Jesus. Jesus' true identity is something that Mark has been getting us to understand throughout his gospel. But here we now see who Jesus is in complete clarity. The high priest asked Jesus in the second half of verse 61, Are you the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed One? The Blessed One was another way of saying God. So the high priest is asking Jesus here the massively political, uh, the politically charged question as to whether or not he is the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One, the promised King of Israel. Whether or not he is the Son of God. And how does Jesus reply? I am. I am. Just two short words, but they hold such significance. In this response, Jesus isn't just confirming the high priest's question as to whether or not he is the Messiah and the Son of God. He's also claiming to be God. All the way back in Exodus, in the Old Testament, Moses is speaking to God in the burning bush. And he asks him, he asks God, Who should he say has sent him to lead his people out of Egypt? And in Exodus 3 verse 14 we read, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I am was the self-appointed name of God. And here in Mark 14, that's exactly how we see Jesus describing himself. I am And if you've been coming to St. Mary's over the last month or so, this shouldn't be a surprise for us. We've seen clearly for Mark who Jesus is. And here he confirms it for all to hear. This is Jesus, God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, the physical manifestation of the invisible God. I am. But if that wasn't enough to be going with, Jesus then follows it up with a statement in verse 62. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. This again is referring back to the Old Testament and this time to what Daniel the prophet wrote. And we'll see that here on the screen. In my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. There can be no doubt as to exactly who Jesus was claiming to be. This was the promised Messiah. So we've seen what Jesus was, completely innocent. Now we see exactly who Jesus was, the Son of God, the promised Messiah, I am. And to the religious leaders, well, this is the moment that they've been waiting for. They finally got him. He's condemned himself. Why do we need any more witnesses, the high priest says. This is exactly what the religious leaders were trying to get out of their false witnesses, but ultimately failed to do so. And now Jesus has done it for them. This is blasphemy. This man is claiming to be God. This man says he's the Messiah. You've all heard it. What do you think? Kill him. He deserves to die. Kill him. These are the cries that we hear. He's a messianic pretender, a temple destroyer. 
and now he's a blasphemer of God. To a corrupt and politically driven court, this is fuel on the fire. And look at how they respond to the innocent son of God confirming his true identity. They condemn him to death. And then, verse 65, some began to spit at him. They blindfolded him, struck him with their fists and said, prophesy. And the guards took him and beat him. Here we clearly see Mark's first contrast. Jesus' divine truth in the midst of lies. But what's happened to Peter, the one remaining disciple of Jesus? Where's the guy who literally said that same day in verse 31, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And the question here is, will Peter who bared a sword and cut off the servant's ear, will he, will he be wearing Willing, not bearing. Will he be willing to bear a cross for Jesus? Will he be willing to die for him? And here we see the second big contrast that Mark's, Mark wants us to see from this passage. Jesus is faithful in the midst of unfaithfulness. Well, we've left uh, Peter in the courtroom just out. We've left the courtroom, uh, and Peter is just outside of Jesus' trial. And Peter's moment has come in verse 66 where he's questioned about his connections to Jesus. And notice in that verse, this isn't some intimidating group of religious leaders who are interrogating him. No, it's a servant girl asking him a question. You were, you were, also, uh, you also were with that Nazarene Jesus. He denies it. She says again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. Again, he denies it. Those standing near said to Peter, surely you're one of them, a Galilean. You're one of his followers. And Peter says, may God strike me dead now if I am lying. Damn me if I am lying. I never knew this man. And the rooster crows. And Peter denied his teacher, his friend, and his Messiah, three times before the rooster has crowed twice. And in doing so, Peter has fulfilled that prophecy, that prediction that Jesus gave, that we looked at two weeks ago with Will. Today, yes, tonight, before the cock crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. And the terrible truth is that as the religious leaders are spitting at Jesus and hitting him, saying, prophesy, who hit you? It's at that very moment that Jesus' prophecy of Peter's denial is coming true. Can you see the contrast between the two? It shouldn't be hard. The faithful witness of Jesus as he speaks the truth in the midst of lies and the cowardly faithlessness, faithless denial of Peter and all the disciples who left Jesus and deserted him. The faithful witness that came at such a cost contrasted to the cowardly denial of his closest follower. The contrast is stark. In the Garden of Gethsemane, just before Jesus' arrest and trial, 
The disciples had been instructed to stay awake and to keep watch. But what happens? Well, they fall asleep again and again. And how about Jesus? Well, in the garden, he earnestly prays to his Father. He perseveres and he is faithful. And within 20 verses, they have abandoned Jesus after promising that they would never disown him. What faithlessness. Can you see that contrast? And we're very quick to judge Peter and the disciples, aren't we? How could they go from making such a promise to deserting Jesus and denying him in this awful way? But the issue is, before we can even begin to point the finger, we need to look at our own lives and recognise that we've all done this. We've all denied Jesus and we've all rejected him. We've all been his unfaithful followers at some point. The disciples here are a clear reminder to us that Jesus is faithful and I am not. Jesus alone is able to die for others. He alone is faithful. And that's why we see him arrested. That's why we see him enduring this kangaroo court. And in the next couple of weeks over Easter, we'll see that Jesus is willing to go all the way, even to the cross. Why? Because he alone is faithful. And what about Peter? Well, he breaks down and he weeps. What hope is there for this faithless man? What hope is there for us? Think back to when I first started, we recognised that we actually really hate injustice and unfaithfulness, don't we? It makes us really angry. Well, this morning, let me tell you that God hates those things even more. He is more angry at injustice and unfaithfulness than we could ever be. And where does this leave me and you, the cowardly liar before God? We're in serious trouble. But mercifully, Jesus made a way. In Jesus, we have a hope. Because on the cross that we'll see in the next chapter, Jesus took our lies and our unfaithfulness and return gave us his perfect life. His truth redeems the liars. His faithfulness makes the faithless right with God. We have a hope. We have an answer to our great problem. There's a theologian called Gresham Machen, the founder of the Westminster Theological Seminary in America. And just before he died, he sent a telegram that read, Without the perfect life of Christ, I have no hope. And if you're a Christian here this morning, say this to yourself, just in your heads. Without the perfect life of Christ, I have no no hope. Say it again and again until it really sinks down into your heart and you really know it to be true. Without the perfect life of Christ, I have no hope. Without Jesus' truthfulness and faithfulness here in this passage, there would be no hope for me or for you. We would be like Peter, left outside, weeping at our own unfaithfulness at our own lies. 
we've seen an amazing thing this morning. Even the faithless liars of this world, like you and me, even we can be made right with God because of Jesus. He alone is truth. He alone is faithful. His death is for the undeserving. We look at this passage and, oh boy, isn't Peter undeserving? And we look at our own hearts and we see the same sin there. But the good news this morning is that we don't have to earn our salvation. The only faithful one has done that for us. It's all the work of Christ. It's great to see you here this morning. Don't get me wrong. It's great to see you here at church. But that isn't going to make you right with God. It's fantastic that you love your family and that you're trying to be the best husband or wife or son or daughter or brother or sister or friend that you can be. But it isn't going to make you right with God. Pretty much the only good thing that Peter gets right in these verses is that he breaks down and weeps. He recognised his own unfaithfulness. Have you done this? Have you recognised that actually you're not okay with God? That you too have been unfaithful? And having seen this in your own life, do the only thing you can do and run to the one hope that we have, Jesus. Go to Jesus, who is the only one who is true and faithful. The only one who can make make us right with God. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for the truths that we've seen from Mark's gospel this morning. We recognise just how hard it must have been for your son to knowingly go through what he did. To be arrested, to be mocked, to be beaten, to be betrayed by his faithless disciples. And yet he was still willing to go through all of that to go to the cross for us. Father, this morning, help us to recognise our own faithlessness. But help us to recognise as well the wonderful truth that we have a complete and perfect hope in Jesus, the one who is faithful. We thank you so much for these things. Help us to remember them and to cling on to them. In your name, amen.